Hello and welcome to Talking Tourism, the podcast series especially for tourism operators and industry professionals. I'm Amy Hills and I'll be your host for today's episode. Talking Tourism is an initiative of the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania. The TICT is the peak industry body for the tourism industry in the beautiful state of Tassie. If you're a regular listener to Talking Tourism, welcome back. If you're a first-time listener and enjoy today's episode, remember there are now more than 130 episodes of Talking Tourism Conversations available from wherever you get your podcasts, or you can simply stream them on the TICT website at tict.com.au. We are recording this podcast today on the lands of the Palawa and Pakana, and TICT offers its respect to the Tasmanian Aboriginal people, their elders, past and present, for their enduring care and management of these islands. Today's episode is brought to you by our partner, Cumulus Studio. Cumulus Studio is an award-winning architecture and interior design practice with offices in Hobart, Launceston, Melbourne, Adelaide. Among its most notable Tasmanian tourism designs are the award-winning Cradle Mountain Visitor Centre and the iconic Pump House Point. Thanks to Cumulus Studio for their generous support of the TICT and for helping to make this episode of Talking Tourism possible. Now, let's get into today's conversation with Tom Wooten and Anne Greentree. There is no denying that Tom has had and continues to have an incredible influence on tourism in Tassie. Before his current role as a tourism consultant, Tom was the inaugural Chief Executive Officer of the Regional Tourism Organisation West by Northwest. In this role, Tom led the organisation's charge on advocacy, industry support, product development and marketing, and worked closely with the state government as well as other industry stakeholders. Tom is also a lawyer and a board director and has had experience helping launch businesses including Pump House Point and Mac One Hotel. And has had extensive experience as a senior leader in tourism and national parks portfolio in the Queensland Government, specialising in industry development, ecotourism and strategy. When she stumbled into tourism, she knew she'd found her tribe. Since moving to Tassie in 2017, she has led business development for a New York-based tech firm specialising in customer solutions for parks and recreation, as well as the chair of East Coast Tourism. For the past four years, Anne has been the Director of Visitor Economy Strategy at Tourism Tasmania. While in this role, Anne has worked alongside state government and industry to develop the 2030 Economy Strategy, which is now live. Well done, Anne. So welcome, Tom and Anne, to Talking Tourism. Thanks, Amy. Thanks, Amy. Great to be here. That was a long introduction. Look, that's, for that's, what's that, half the allocated time for the podcast? So, Is well, there time can, for questions still? Well, Straight there to there the... is. What can I do when I have such accomplished people that I'm interviewing? So, Tom and Anne, today we're talking about tourism strategy, but without the BS. And we all know that when you start to talk about strategy, sometimes it can be quite difficult and confronting for people are all too complicated. Might start with you first, Tom. Why is it important to have a strategy as an operator? a business owner? I think it's fairly simple. It's just very useful to know where you're trying to get to. So we've done a little bit of talking in our uh, workshop about current state, where you are, future state, where you want to be, and what are the steps in between. You're absolutely right. The word strategy brings with it a sense of causing your eyes to glaze over academia that goes with it, and that can be quite uh, intimidating, I think, for people. And so the word strategy can cause people to just tune out. At the end of the day, we're talking about keeping this really simple. We want to be able to keep it simple in the workshop that we're conducting uh, to say, you're here now, you want to get there, what are the steps it takes in the meantime? And uh, interestingly, I think, Anne, we've found that uh, a lot of the people in the workshop didn't really necessarily even have one. Uh, That's kind of telling in itself 
Mm. So, Anne, you've obviously spent a lot of your career developing strategies and at, at a very broad scale level as well, say, for the latest one at a state level. During your presentation, can you take us through how you were able to sort of make that accessible for the business at their level? Mm. And I think that is the, the real value of the 2030 strategy. Talking with operators this morning, it's about the strategy providing that destination kind of where we're going, what we're on about as a destination. But importantly, it provides all of the information that operators need to do their own planning. So what's the brand of Tasmania? Therefore, how do I as an operator fit my product and my business into that brand? And what are the kind of demand forecasts that we have for Tasmania up to 2030 and beyond? And and that all really should be factored into what operators are thinking about and planning for in terms of their future business operations. I think the other thing uh, that the strategy does as well in terms of making it accessible for operators is, is that it talks about what the trends are that we're seeing both in the domestic and the global marketplace and what's the kind of economic and broader environmental context that we're all operating within. And these are the kinds of things that I think um, if you're being purposeful about your business, you really need to have an eye to to say, well, what opportunity does that present to me? Mm. And what do I need to do uh, in terms of taking those actions to really make this work for Mm. me? The other thing that's important about it, I think, Amy, is that um, uh, we we talked a lot this morning about how, how a big part of strategy is choosing what not to do, something that a lot of people don't necessarily think to go through that process. The beauty of the 2030 strategy is if people do take the time to read it, they might determine that there's quite a lot of things that are being done at a local, regional or state level that they can kind of let that happen and, in fact, dovetail into it, but they don't need to worry about them necessarily themselves, leaving them to focus on exactly what it is that's going to make their business tick. Talking to operators today, in terms of strategy, what are the things that they should be focusing on that make their business tick? (laughs) And is it different for every business and how do they, I guess, customise that to their business? Yeah, well, you've, you've actually yeah, answered part of the question there. It is uh, case by case and business by business, which is why we were kind of, we wanted to go as far as to give them some tools they could use, but not so far as to be prescriptive because there isn't anything too prescriptive about this. Uh, it's about coming up with a plan and then implementing like hell. Um, the sorts of things they ought to be thinking about and the sort of things we took them through, they want to make sure that they're getting revenue into the business. So that is couched in marketing, you might say, for the most part. How do you get people aware of your business and get them to your business? Profit, operations, how are you getting that money to the bottom line? What what are the certain, uh, you need to have a look at your current state. How's your profit looking? What are your operations looking like? Are there any reductions you can make? Make a plan to improve those things and then measure the the success of those. And then we've talked about in tourism context, product, understanding what your product is or your experience. Are there tweaks that you can make to your product so that it's meeting the market so that you can get the revenue in? And then the fourth one we talked about was team. Uh, no business uh, at any level can operate uh, well if the people set up isn't right. Culture eats strategy for breakfast, just to bring out another quote. We As went through say, quite a few quotes this morning. We have a lot of quotes. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it, was very, it, was, it was a quote-riddled session this morning. It was, yeah. absolutely. I yeah. think the other thing I'd add to that is, is that all of that is the kind of operationalising of mm. the strategy. And we spent a fair bit of time this morning talking about purpose and vision, what we're about, because unless you have that clearly in your mind, you don't really know where you're going. So, But how do you do that, Anne? How do you sit mm, down good as, question. as someone that's fresh to, to doing this sort of thing and sit down and go, I want to do the strategy before I operationalise mm. the strategy? What do they think about and how do they get there? Mm. And I think um, we had a great question in this morning's session, which was, uh, what is what makes Tassie so different? 
And to me, that's the point of understanding what your purpose is and understanding where you want to go. So it's really thinking about if you've already got a product or an experience, um, how are you different from your surrounding businesses? How do you complement, obviously, the Tasmanian brand and what we're known for in Tassie? But in a competitive landscape, you really do need to offer something that's different, something that customers value. And I think thinking about all of that helps you to, there's no easy answer. You've really got to put the hard work in. You've got to nut through it. Yeah, you've yeah. just got to nut through it. Is there help and support available for, for this type of thing? I mean, I guess today's a, mm. a good example of that. It is. And I'd say it's the sort of work that uh, TICT and that the regional bodies uh, do pretty well. Um, so if you do, if you are seeking um, help forming up a, a strategy, strategy, uh, I'd encourage reaching out to your regional tourism body would be a great place to start. Even your local tourism associations, you know, um, we're all pulling in the same direction here. So they can certainly offer some help. But the aim of what we're trying to do today is just make it digestible, make it approachable so that people don't sort of switch off at the idea of having to do the hard work. It's actually, at the end of the day, it's about writing down what it is that you're about and then how you're going to, you know, form up a goal and, and get there at the end of the day. And it's also trying to dispel or do away with some of the uh, tricky jargon that goes around it. So we talked about the kind of the why, the how and the what, uh, the Simon Sinek video, the golden circle that seems to be very popular, but how that really sort of conflates with, you know, purpose, mission and uh, vision. Mm. There's a lot of different words that get thrown around it, but at the end of the day, if you boil it right down, it's just about knowing what you're about, how you're going to uh, run your business and what you want to get to at the end of the day, whatever language you put around that. And if people can get that really simple process down, they're more than halfway there, I'd suggest. Mm. And Tom and Anne, do you advocate once you've got that as an operator, sharing that with your team and your your, mm. your staffing group? Absolutely. And I think it's one of, one of the things we talked about this morning was how much do you consult? Yeah. And I think that's different for every business. Obviously, in government, we have a higher kind of benchmark for the level of consultation that we do. But I think when it comes down to being a business in a small community, you've got to work out who your critical stakeholders are and who you need to bring along your journey with you. And that's not only just your your team uh, in your organisation, but it could be the businesses, your suppliers, people you interact with every day, could be the, the park service who you conduct your business on um, in terms of land. But I think that's different for every business and you've really got to work out who they are and then, yeah, engage to bring them along with you. Mm. Mm. And fail to do it at your peril. You mean mm. you, you you need you need your team to be on board. You don't, you, arguably, you don't need your team to be on board. But my God, if they are on board, it makes a huge difference to getting where you're trying to get to. So mm. um, I'll say it again: culture eats strategy for breakfast. Uh, mm. If you can get that people piece right, you, yeah. you're in the right direction. Hundred percent. And so, if we if we broaden this out to obviously the 2030 visitor economy strategy that we've we've now launched. Well done, Anne, mm, for great. all your work on that. <laughs> I helped actually. With and, you. And, and Tom, <laughs> for your help and assistance. That's now out. So it's a it's a great blueprint for for where we want to head collectively. So we touched on this a bit at the start. And how do operators understand what the key themes are, what the government's doing, and how do they connect in? So um, obviously read the strategy and we have our A4 little fact sheet that goes with it. So if you if you do just want that initial kind of summary of what the strategy is about, go to the A4 summary first. Mm-hmm. Having written a lot of it, it sounds a bit kind of subjective to say read the strategy in full, but um, I think if you do really want to understand what 
Tassie as a destination, what we're striving to be like in the future, it's really important to read the eight key directions particularly. They really set the path for where we're trying to change course a bit. And it speaks to things like environmental sustainability, reducing our emissions. And when we talk about uh, directions that have a direct relevance for businesses, that really is one of them. And I think that if we do nothing else from an operator perspective, then increase our awareness that that is a really fundamentally important part of doing business into the future. I think that is one of the biggest changes that we can make, both at a destination level. We know that this is what consumers are looking for. They're basing their decisions in everyday purchases as well as where they, how they travel, where they go. And so making sure that at a destination and an operator level where we're really taking those um, steps to increase our awareness as to how we can make changes in that, in that area. And it's not just emissions, it's about waste resource recovery, um, recycling, all of that kind of stuff as well. So government's doing a lot when we talk about how we connect in. Government is doing a lot in these areas and we're over the next few years really trying to make it accessible for operators to understand what to do um, because a lot of these things are really quite complicated. So to understand what we do and then to connect into tools and resources that help our businesses along the way. I think the other key direction that is of critical importance is how do we make a contribution to our local communities? And this is really the social kind of side of things. So we all talk about social licence. We've There's been a lot of talk about regenerative tourism over the last couple of years. At a destination level or at a sector level, it's fundamentally important for tourism to be in sync with or understanding what's important to Tasmanians. Uh, it would be very easy to lose that social licence. And um, I think that's where even as operators operating in regional small towns, that's where it all starts. It starts with all of us having an awareness as to how we engage meaningfully, how we understand what's important to the community that we live in and what we can do as a sector to really kind of lead that change. So, Tom, out of today and against that backdrop, what are your key takeouts for industry and operators listening to this session? Well, my key takeout, uh, it's me having my best guess at how people received the workshop and my sense is that it was uh, seen as valuable. I think we got, we got a lot of people that came and spoke to us afterwards. We saw people scribbling furiously throughout it. Uh, and, of course, when we asked for that show of hands to begin with, um, maybe not as many as you might think uh, have got a plan there ready to go. So my takeaway is that, or my hope, is that what we've provided them today is a simple version of what can at least get them started. They can use that as a starting point to go down a rabbit hole in any which direction. Uh, and, and again, that'll be case by case, business by business. What does it need to understand? Understanding your customer alone can be a whole piece of work. Um, but there's a whole lot of research and data available online, for example, to determine those things. If it just serves as a starting point, if they've got nothing else except a bit of an action plan that says, this is where we're at at the moment, this is where we want to get to, and here's a few steps in the meantime, and you know what, this is how we're going to measure it at the end of the year or the end of the three years or the end of the month, that would be a fantastic outcome from my point of view, just to, just to make a start and mm -hmm. not let the word strategy intimidate. So is the first step to sit down and think about your purpose and, and where you want to be? Is that where you start? I, th I think it absolutely is, yeah. And, and not get caught up in the jargon of, oh, you know, I looked online and apparently a mission means this and a vision means yeah. this. I just look, think about what, your why. why. Why are you doing what you're doing? Simple is better. Uh, totally. Mm. Less is more. W what are you doing? What's, what's the, wh how are you serving your why and what are you doing and what do you want to get to? What's the outcome of all of this? 
So if you can go through those things, it doesn't matter if you're adhering to textbook A or textbook B or no textbook, as long as you're sort of getting those sort of bits right, you're well on the way and then get a bit of a plan together and and there you are. So, And I really would say, just to, to come in behind what Anne has just said, reading that 2030 strategy, it's not a difficult read. Uh, Anne's put uh, years of work into making sure this is completely digestible, knowing her audience, which is the Tassie tourism industry. So I would implore people to take some time to read that, an easy read and well worth understanding if you're operating in the tourism industry in Tasmania. Mm, yeah, I'd second that it's, it's good if you can to read it from cover to back because it does give the full picture and it isn't long no. um, and, and easy to understand, but it does give you the, yeah, the, the full breadth of the, the policy yep. issues that we're looking at mm. at, the, at the broader level. And there are some very pretty pictures in there, Amy. Well, this is what we, well, we have to have that. We are the tourism <laughs> industry. Right. It's got to be visually appealing. There's, there's a few diagrams. <laughs> and other things like that, just hard to make to sure find, that we're... Very hard to find visually appealing in Tasmania, <laughs> let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, what a canvas. So, and part of the 2030 strategy um, has been some really important forecasting that's been done by Deloitte. Can you tell us what that shows and how that's quite unique and a, and a first time for many operators to know where we're heading mm. as a state? We started thinking about what does the future actually look like and while it's a bit of it, – it's out into the future, things can change, as we all know, over the last few years, who could have anticipated COVID? But what the forecasting does is work from a proven model, an economic model, that gives us a picture of both global factors and domestic factors around what the future demand could look like for Tassie. And it's – uh, a conservative estimate. So uh, so we're looking at a 2.6 annual growth rate um, in demand out to 2030, which is not too dissimilar to what we've experienced in the lead up to, or the 10 years in the leading up to COVID. So we know the growth rate that that feels like, and uh, we know the kind of things that we need to put in place to accommodate that growth rate. So I think they're things that we know and can plan for. The, the other thing that we've done with the forecasting is look at our intrastate market, so Tasmanians travelling around the state, which is something that hasn't been included previously in the visitor economy work. We've traditionally focused on the domestic and international market. And what was proven through COVID is, is that our Tasmanian market's huge. The forecasting actually does verify that. And this is a really important market, particularly for regional Tassie, that we should be focusing on and making the most of as well. So I think of relevance for our conversation here about strategy and business planning is take a look at that forecasting, understand who your markets are coming to your business. It might be purely domestic, could be international as well. Um, have a look at what that forecast is and put that in the mix of all of the information um, to understand what your 10-year vision might be for your business, where you want to go, do you want to grow, and what are you going to put in place to take advantage of that. Mm, and, and people can read that in the strategy? They can, yeah. yes. Back to something you were talking about, Tom, around, you know, useful tips to take away, goal setting and SMART goals. Can you tell us a little bit about uh, what yes. they are and yeah. what – is that simple for people to do? Of course. That was an important part of the session. I think we uh, we hit that one home as hard as we possibly could. From experience that, that Anne and I would draw from, which is that so many of the sorts of strategic goals you see framed up in some of these government documents even, right down to business level, where these objectives, these strategic goals uh, aren't necessarily – SMART goals. The SMART system, the SMART framework uh, is S 
specific. Your goal must be specific. The broader you make it, the less likely you're going to, it's going to drive you or be useful for you. If it's really specific, you're very focused on achieving that outcome. M, measurable. What's the good of having a goal if you don't really know whether you've, you've hit it or not? Yep. The more measurable it is, the better. Yep. A, attainable. Uh, by all means, you know, aim for the stars, but it's got to be uh, it's got to be something that there's some likelihood of achieving. Are relevant uh, again? These sound obvious, I know, but these are things that you see and again hard and again. When you just... sit down, and when you actually start thinking about that, yep. you have like when you say, "What is that goal for me?" Yep, yep. It's just uh, we and, and look, I'll finish quickly by saying the T then is time bound. Mm. Make sure that you put a, a time limit on it. So if your goal is is X. Make sure it's done by why. I mean, there's no good saying we're going to do this. When are you going to get it done? Well, we'll sort of see how that goes. The, the more kind of specific, measurable, attainable, relevant and time-bound you can make it, the more it will drive your every day. And the interesting part of this was that we asked everybody if they were familiar with the SMART goal-setting framework. Most said they were, but very few actually went about applying it. actually used it. So I just think yeah. really it's as much as anything a reminder when you're putting any set of goals together, just take an extra moment to say, does this actually tick each of the boxes for a mm. smart goal. Yeah, very wise counsel. Now, with that in mind, we're going to move on to the big seven um, and I'm going to go between you so you won't know which one's coming. Oh, God. Oh, it wouldn't be an episode of Talking Tourism <laughs> without uh, what we call the big seven questions and, um, as we know, everyone will be judging you on them. So, <laughs> you know, no pressure. Can he have the first one? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> of course. <laughs> But it's a, quite an easy one, I think. But, well, not easy because everything is great. But, Tom, mm. what is your favourite spot in Tasmania and why? Okay, I'm going to try to give something different to last time I've answered this. <laughs> I'm going I'm to say um, we've just moved uh, to a new place in Sanford and I'm absolutely, I don't want to leave home at the moment. I just love it out there I and I just Sanford, love that whole kind of uh, yeah. South Arm sort of area. Looking back at the mountain, it's all so water-based out there. It's beautiful. I love it. It's gorgeous. I agree with you on that. This comes to you, and this is uh, Anne. This is your favourite travel destination anywhere in the world. I actually think it's going to sound really strange, but I do actually love staying home. home. <laughs> that doesn't sound strange to me. <laughs> wow, it doesn't sound strange. No, to me. and it's um. I don't know. Every time I and we have just been overseas, so but it reinforces every time how beautiful Tasmania is, how accessible it all is, and this is a gorgeous time of year. And it's just, I, don't know, I think, we'll quite just a theme Tassie. to uh, both of those answers. Favorite spot in Tassie is home. And is home. Yeah, yeah there we go. Absolutely, home. Yeah. home and home. Yep. So, Tom, someone is coming to Tassie for the first time in their lives and they ask you what's the one thing they absolutely must experience when they're here. This is tough. Mm. Um, what do you tell them? Look, I'm just going to keep this simple for myself and stick with the theme from the last question, uh, talking <laughs> about the kind of water-based environment and, and uh, culture out around Sanford. I'd say get on the water. And we have got some amazing uh, water-based experiences um, uh, around the state from kayaking to Gordon River Cruises to uh, Pennicott's operation and all around, you know, fishing adventures down in um, Port Davey. There is so many great water-based experiences and I think uh, that's a great way to see Tasmania is from the water. Just to prove that we're totally aligned, water, <laughs> mine would be oysters. You have to have uh, yeah. Tassie oysters. So get on or in the water. Right, yes. Or, or eat, eat, eat stuff from the water. <laughs> eat things from the water. Okay, Anne, you're walking the overland track for five days 
with three other people, anyone in the world, famous, not famous, living or dead, who would you take with you and why? Well, I think last time I answered this, I chose Nelson Mandela. Okay, that's going big. (laughs) Yes. Uh, Maybe I'll choose, harking back to our session this morning, Tom. (laughs) (laughs) I was waiting. I was ready, yeah. Uh, I don't know. In fact, I actually think maybe taking no one would be the way to go and getting in tune with myself. Tom, you're road tripping around Tassie. What are you listening to in the car? I am listening, depends on who I'm road tripping with, if I'm with my kids, Tay-Tay's getting a really good run at the moment. Good taste. Uh, my son is very eclectic in his taste already, anything from Gang of Yous to Foo Fighters through to Timmy Trumpet and Tay-Tay. So uh, oh, wow. he likes that all sorts of things. That is quite the breadth of... If it's just yeah. uh, my wife and I, it might be more likely a podcast and we are really enjoying The Imperfects, which is uh, Hugh Van Kylenberg and co, and that's a great podcast for anyone listening. Okay, good tip. And when you arrive at your destination, what would be your tipple of choice? I don't think you can go past a Tassie gin with maybe a sprig of thyme. <laughs> sounds good. That would be it. Yeah, yes. No, yes. well, that's, that sounds amazing. And the last one, but the most important one comes to you, Tom, and I don't know, you've answered this one before, I'm I sure. Have, yeah. <laughs> I've got a fairly firm stance on it. Yeah, though, okay. so, yeah. <laughs> right, we'll hear the firm stance again. The last one is the big one and it's the big debate, which is the curried Tasmanian scallops. Is it a culinary delight or a culinary crime? It's a crime. Oh, uh, I you agree. Know, for, for purely oh, subjective reasons. I mean, I'm not, it's just, it's just... It's just not my jam. I would never go and order a curried. I'm not going to get too animated about this, oh. but no, it's a total crime and it should be an indictable uh, offence. Yeah, what mm. should it be? Um, in a just, white sauce. Just, just a, an Angus beef pie. That's oh, what it okay. should be. You yeah, just yeah. don't want it in a pie. <laughs> we are totally not aligned on this one. I love Tassie. <laughs> Scallop pie. All right. Yes. Well, on that note, thank you so much for being with us, Tom and Anne. Um, and there's so much more we could unpack as part of this topic, and I'm sure we will as the year goes on and as people digest the 2030 strategy. And if you're looking to read a copy of the Visitor Economy Strategy 2030, just jump online at um, Tourism Tasmania's website at tourismtasmania.com.au. Thank you for listening to today's episode of Talking Tourism. Remember to subscribe to hear more episodes as we release them every two weeks or so. Also remember to tell a friend or tourism colleague to check out our podcasts. Talking Tourism is an initiative of the Tourism Industry Council Tasmania and today's episode was brought to you with the support of our partner and a big thanks also to Caleb Miller at Mac40, our audio specialist who produces these episodes. I'm your host, Amy Hills, and we'll catch up next time.